you, Stu, very much. Well, good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see everyone out here today. I know the snow has kept some at home, but I'm glad you intrepid, intrepid explorers made it through the, the winter wasteland to, to get here today. For those of you who are online, welcome. We're glad that you're here with us as well. Uh, let me uh, do encourage you a couple things before we get started. Uh, again, about the, the, the card bulletin board out here, um, no obligation to put a card on there. If you want to send some, something to everybody or, or nothing at all, that's your choice, of course, but uh, it's a way to uh, greet the entire congregation easily out here by posting something if you like, and uh, hope you'll take advantage of that. And then secondly, I hope it's on everybody's calendar to be here for our Christmas Eve Festival of Lessons and Carols. And for those of you online, we will be having that online as well. Uh, so we'll live stream that. Christmas Eve, 7 o'clock, we'll have some refreshments afterwards. So hope you can stay for a little fellowship. And then Sunday morning, uh, Christmas Day, we will have our usual worship service at 1030. And uh, we'll look forward to that. We will not have Sunday school that day to allow families a little extra time for um, Sunday morning activities if they desire. Uh, we will get here a little earlier, though. We'll have some, again, some refreshments, maybe leftovers. I don't know. We'll see from the night before. Uh, but we'll have some refreshments there for some fellowship time if you want to come a little bit early. So um, uh, looking forward to a, a sweet a weekend of worship and rejoicing in the birth of our Savior. So hope you could make that uh, uh, make, make those uh, uh, services uh, a part of your schedule this year. All right. If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn once again to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last time. We'll do a little bit of review, of course. Uh, but uh, Luke chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading at verse 67. Read through verse 79. And I would ask, if you're able, please uh, stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. Luke 1, beginning at verse 67. And his, that is John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear." in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. God adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Please be seated. 
So last week we looked at the first section of this, this passage, this prophecy of preparation that Zacharias utters when his lips are loosed after um, nine months of silence uh, during the time that Elizabeth, his wife, was carrying his son, John. And what an incredible, incredible prophecy and declaration it is. In this opening section, we noted last time, the focus upon God himself and reasons to praise him, praising him for his actions, for the way that he has visited, he's remembered his people and has overseen them. He has remembered his covenants his, and, and brought about redemption for his people. And remember, Jesus hasn't been born yet. So Zacharias is declaring this, this redemption in the way that he is, is remarkable. Because he is stating in the structure that's there, not just that he will save his people, he will redeem them. He is saying it's a done deal. It is an accomplished redemption that he has brought about. And this redemption is a strong salvation. It cannot be undone. He, he has accomplished his purposes. Brought about through the Christ, through the Messiah, through David's line, Zacharias knows that uh, the Lord Jesus, um, that Mary is carrying the Messiah, believes it and knows that the prophecies concerning the Messiah through David's line are about to be fulfilled. Those things that were foretold uh, are going to bring about deliverance from all his and our enemies. An incredible, incredible prophecy here. Zacharias is totally confident that this child of promise um, that his, that is his own son, promised to him, is a token, is a is a, a sign of the certainty of the Messiah to come, and that God will certainly bring about His will. And that will, uh, he goes on and speaks of what some of that will is, what his purposes are, demonstrating loyalty to the covenants that he has made to his people from the very beginning, showing his mercy, and again that same structure of of mercy, not just something that will take place in time to come, but uh, has already been accomplished. Sorry, this is just cutting off my head a little bit. Um, uh, to uh, that mercy that's accomplished, he has performed and will continue to perform all of his promises that have to do with his loyalty to his people, loyalty to his own character. What he's promised to the fathers will be brought about. And this, remember the, the cultural covenant that we were talking about last time. That this is coming after the so-called 400 silent years where there hadn't been any really recognized, uh, authorized prophetic voice until John here. There's war, there's been war, there's been oppression, there's... Uh, been no prophetic voice that's brought comfort or correction. There've been lots of false prophets, lots of false direction, lots of false comfort, but nothing uh, that has been true. And so Zacharias' pro uh, prophecy concerning what God has done in preparing the way for the Messiah, again, indicates that uh, he had not spent the nine months of silence uh, in a mental vacuum, 
he'd been thinking about this and pondering what uh, God had done, what all these things meant. And this is just an incredible utterance on his part. And note that his purposes are not only speaking to his, his own desires, his own will regarding uh, the, the, the order of things and the, 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 the plan of salvation and all of that, which is included, of course, but there's also a component of his purposes that speak to us in how we live as a result of what the Messiah is going to do and say and teach. And his purposes include uh, serving him freely, fearlessly, in holiness, in righteousness, according to his standard, and to, and to serve him consistently uh, and steadfastly without faltering. But now we come to the second half of this prophecy of preparation. And Zacharias changes gears a bit. He now turns very directly to speaking to his son, John. He speaks specifically of the son that John had given. A part of God's faithfulness, as I mentioned before, is not just in sending the Messiah, but in sending someone ahead of time who uh, will, in fact, faithfully lay the groundwork for the coming Messiah. And in fact, John's not the only one that God has ever sent, right? I mean, he's sent uh, many prophets. He's sent uh, um, uh, people like Moses and leaders and judges and priests and different ones that would speak to and represent, in a way, the Messiah to come all the way through Israel's history. We were talking about this in uh, our, our Bible study hour a little bit earlier with the, the Magi in the East who were recognizing the signs. And these signs that both not only were in the heavens, but were in God's word that had been through Israel's history. All the signs were there over and over and over again. Israel wasn't paying attention. They didn't want to pay attention. Their, their eyes were dark. Their ears were deaf. They were determined not to see their Messiah. The Magi, Gentiles from the East, saw the signs and went to check it out. And uh, when they asked the, the Jewish leadership where, where the Christ child was, I mean, those who should have known it right off the top of their heads had to go up and uh, do some research to figure out where the Messiah was supposed to be. They weren't looking. But the signs were there and John comes, as Jesus referred to him as the greatest of the prophets, uh, comes there at, uh, right at the threshold of the revelation of, of the Messiah. And God prepares this way so that his people would know and would have no excuse to say, well, we, we just didn't see it. You know, by now, uh, I mean, now when uh, John was born. By that time, the Messiah, the idea of the Messiah, for many in Israel was like a long ago myth. Something that, uh, kind of a cultural thing. You know how here we are at this time of year, right? And people uh, are, uh, they're kind of Christmas, Easter Christians, right? They show up for... The Easter holidays, they show up for the Christmas holidays. It's a cultural thing. We talk about, you know, about Jesus coming and, um, 
even in many secular, very secular settings, people love to sing Christmas carols and so on, all about the Savior, uh, a Savior who they neither know nor recognize. But it feels all warm and fuzzy to sing about him this time of year. Well, I think for many in Israel at that time, the Messiah was that way. Yeah, it was great to talk about, yeah, we know it's going to happen sometime, but it wasn't part of their daily life or the way they thought. Um, For one thing, they'd had their hopes raised and dashed so often by false prophets, of which there were a bunch during that so-called silent 400 years. Um, The false prophets come saying either that they were the Messiah or, look, the Messiah is over here. People were just jaded. This prophecy... Um, this prophet uh, of God had to be the best, had to be shown to be genuine. And so how does John fill what uh, was required to be the genuine article as far as that, that final prophet who would pave the way for Christ? Well, in verses 76 through 79, Zacharias talks about that. Remember, we've mentioned a couple times last week, and I've already mentioned the word numerous times uh, today, that word prepare or preparation is sprinkled throughout this. And in fact, as you'll see, when we look at different passages that speak about John, uh, the coming of John, you'll see that word crop up again and again and again. As our Lord prepared the way and prepared us to recognize his Messiah and to serve him. So first of all, take a look at this prophet that is to be raised. That that Zacharias says, John, you're the one. You're the one who is fulfilling this. And you, child, verse 76, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Now, take a look, if you will, uh, in the book of John, John's Gospel, chapter 1. And this is speaking about John the Baptist in this particular section. John 1, verse 29. The next day, uh, John sees Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Um, when was, uh, when was Jesus born in relationship to John? After, all right? So John is recognizing that Jesus is, is, uh, is divine here. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John can, goes on, he bears witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Basically what John is saying here is, is God commissioned me to declare this one, uh, this is not a conspiracy. He and I didn't get together and collude together to come up with this great revelation or anything, or, you know, the, the uh, announcement. Here he comes. The Spirit has done this. Uh, that's when he says, I don't know, know him. It doesn't mean that he wasn't aware of who Jesus was or, or anything like that. He's really speaking of there's no prior conspiracy here to try to delude people. 
Uh, this is the one whom God has revealed, revealed it to me, and now I'm revealing it to you, that he is the Son of God. And so John is saying, here's the one. Not me. I'm, the, I'm just the one who's pointing the way. This is the one. I'm the one who's there to prepare. In Mark chapter 1, verses 2 through 8, and we'll refer to that passage a time or two uh, uh, more as we go along. But there in Mark uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, uh, Mark quotes Isaiah 40 and verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. To prepare the Lord's way. Why did the Lord's way need to be prepared? Think about that for a minute. I mean, we, we use that term all the time. We read it in these sections of, past, of Scripture pretty much every year. Why did the Lord's way need to be prepared? Didn't he ordain it from before the foundation of the earth? What preparation was needed? Why did there have to be preparation? Well, we have some hints there from this text. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Wilderness or desert has very often in the pages of Scripture the... An association with or the idea of alienation or separation from God, separation from nourishment, separation uh, from uh, the paths and ways of life. It's a time, it's a place of desperation. And certainly, um, why do the ways need to be prepared? Because of sin. That's why. Because man is at odds with God, alienated from Him, lost in the desert, uh, starving thirsty, uh, perishing because they've cut themselves off from the God of life. And here is the prophet that Isaiah is speaking of, John, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. The, why did John go down by the Jordan, an area considered to be a wilderness area, a place that was uh, remote and out in the sticks, People were leaving the cities and going out there. He was out in the wilderness to symbolize he was the one that God sent his, his preparer to the places where people were lost and desperate and alienated from God to declare the Messiah's coming. Prepare or make straight, those two terms, have the idea of... of They speak to the manner of of John's work and indeed the manner of of what every prophet did before. John, uh, most most obviously and clearly of all because Jesus was right there uh, about to be revealed. But the idea of preparing or making straight, these words have the idea of clearing away obstacles. That's what the word prepare suggests. The making straight, uh, basically kind of taking out the blind curves. Uh, for those of you that uh, drive south occasionally, when we uh, go through the MacArthur Lake curves, right? You know, you've seen all the work and stuff. Did you? Everybody know what they're doing down there? They're getting ready to straighten that out, which is like <laughs> that's 
going to be great. Lots of accidents happen there because some go too fast uh, for conditions and that sort of thing, and you can't see around. Now that's going to get straightened out, and uh, hopefully that will make that a safer place to drive through. It's great. I think it's going to be a couple of years yet before it's all done, but anyway, that's the plan. Well, it's that same idea of getting rid of the blind curves so that there's a, uh, on a highway, you've got sure footing. It's made straight. It's made smooth, made plain so that you can see the way that you're going. Fewer places for robbers to hide and uh, jump out at you and uh, rob you and harm you. This, this is sort of the imagery that's going on here. So getting rid of obstacles. Well, there's lots of obstacles uh, to, for us to get out of the wilderness. For one thing, when we're lost in the wilderness, we don't know where we are. We don't know the direction. We can't find the road. We don't, our, our own sins, our own arrogance, our own pride gets in the way. And John is therefore calling for repentance from those sins to help clear away those obstacles that stand between us and knowing our God. And getting rid of the blind curves, showing very clearly, this is the one. And no other. This is the nature of what John was doing as he points out that Christ is the way and he's preparing the, the people to recognize that and see it. Uh, the second reason that John is raised up, uh, Zacharias goes on to say, is not just to, to uh, you know, lay the groundwork and, and, and say, yep, this is the one and you know, get rid of your sins but also to teach about God's salvation. We see that in verses 77 and 78. To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. I love how that's put, uh, actually. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Beautiful picture, uh, word pictures of our salvation here. And I love what it says about giving knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. This is not just an intellectual understanding of what salvation is or how it's brought about. This is a salvation that is experiential in that we know that our sins have been forgiven. We walk with a clear conscience before him. That's an indication of our salvation that we may know that in the forgiveness of our sins that we are redeemed and may have therefore hope and peace and joy in him. Christ is the way. Uh, John is the forerunner of Christ. Uh, also uh, follows in the, the pattern of the Messiah who is, would, is said to give knowledge to his people. And Christ's knowledge is perfect. Think about this for a minute when we look at Mark chapter 1 again. This is verse 4 where Mark says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Um, sometimes people have had the idea that John was preaching some kind of different gospel. Um, he's only dealing with repentance, as if that is a static theoretical condition. I'm just going to repent, and then after that, do nothing. The idea of repentance is so that we will walk humbly before our God and turn away from our sins and walk in newness of life. And John particularly, not just saying repent, but here's the Savior, 
believe him. Um, and this is reiterated in Acts chapter 19 by Luke in verse 4, where we read, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance. Uh, this is uh, the Apostle Paul speaking. Uh, but John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Just in case you had any any. Uh, lack of, of clarity on what John's gospel was really all about. Um, we look at things like John didn't really talk about the Holy Spirit too much, though he did talk he did talk about the Holy Spirit. But as far as the filling of the Holy Spirit, that was not something that John was uh, had uh, as part of his message because that hadn't happened yet or been promised yet in the way that uh, it would come about. Um, so John is preparing the Lord's ways. He's helping people to turn away from their sins. He's helping them understand what forgiveness uh, is and, and, and who the Messiah is. And he's teaching of God's salvation, preparing this way. And then verse 79, the first part, um, well, it follows, uh, last part of 78 and first part of 79 whereby the sunshine, the sunrise shall visit us. Um, and that's uh, visit us is the same visit that we talked about visitation earlier of uh, overseeing or looking in on. Uh, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Christ is the way. John prepared the way. Uh, Christ gives perfect knowledge, particularly of salvation, and John teaches of God's salvation as well and points up the one in whom all knowledge is hidden. And then Christ, we know, is the one who is the light of lights. And John's purpose as a prophet was to strive to enlighten those who were in darkness John is part of that sunrise. He's not the ultimate sunrise. Um, that uh, G Jesus is the perfect um, sunrise and perfect light. But John is part of that light that's beginning to uh, uh, dawn on people. In, uh, in Malachi chapter 4, and verses 5 and 6, we read this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of Yahweh comes. Now, of course, Elijah the prophet had been dead and gone a fair bit when, the, when Malachi penned his prophecy. And he, this, this second Elijah, will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Interestingly, earlier in Malachi's uh, prophecy, chapter 3 and verse 1, uh, we read there Yahweh saying, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before him, before the Messiah. So that messenger is to call his people to repentance in advance of the coming day of the Lord. It's kind of like Jonah's message. When Jonah went to Nineveh, um, his message helped Nineveh to see the light. And they repented and turned to God. 
This second Elijah's message will do the same for God's people in the latter days. And we know that this, this, is, this prophet is John uh, from what Zacharias is saying there in verse 76 when he says, And you, child. The people of John's day were in darkness. Their eyes were sealed, their ears were sealed, their hearts were hard. They were not looking for the Messiah at all. And uh, the prophets um, were, I think I used this phrase last time, um, last, last Sunday, the prophets were like God's flashlights to, to show, uh, to bring light to what people were doing, to show people the way to walk, to uh, show who was harmful and who was not, to help people see themselves for the way they really were in relationship to their God. And John, uh, it's not just a flashlight, <laughs> a floodlight, as he points up the one true Christ. So John is preparing the Lord's ways. He's teaching of salvation. He's enlightening those who are in darkness. And finally, we see in verse 79 that he is uh, there to guide our feet into the way of peace. Um, the... Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is, it will guide us. He's our shepherd. But this is referring primarily to John in his ministry, who is going to point up the one who is the ultimate true shepherd. And John is out there guiding and helping people to understand uh, who their God is. Now, it's interesting that uh, Jesus of John. In John chapter, Gospel of John chapter 5, Jesus speaking to the Jews, speaking about John the Baptist said, he was the burning and shining lamp and you were willing to follow, or re, excuse me, you were willing to rejoice in his light for a time. So Jesus himself said, Jesus is the, uh, John is the light that is pointing the way. For a time, they went out and so on, but eventually they would turn their back on John just as they did on Jesus as well. But John was there as the light to help guide men into the way of peace. The way of peace. Uh, take a look at Luke 1. So it's still in that same chapter, but earlier, verses 13 through 18. The angel is speaking to Zechariah. He says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you should call his name John. You will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great before the Lord. Um, he must not drink wine or strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedience uh, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. A people prepared. I love this promise concerning John. When you hear the word uh, peace in there in verse 
79. Guide our feet into the way of peace. Where does your mind go when you think about peace? We've been speaking about Christ already, have we not? Thinking of him as the way, the one who is our true prophet, who guides us into perfect knowledge, who brings true light, the light that had begun to be shown by the prophets that came before. Christ himself is the Prince of Peace, is he not? And John, in preparing the way, um, going to a people prepared, the goal is peace. Now, I was thinking about this. Um, you have to be prepared for peace. In order to experience God, that's clearly intimated here. Why, why do you have to be prepared for peace? Aren't you ready for peace? Don't you long for peace? Wouldn't you love to just have peace in every aspect of your life, not just you personally, but in the society in which you live and the world in which we live? Don't we long for peace? Why do we need to be prepared for peace? Why isn't it just a given? Why doesn't it just come? The answer is pretty obvious, isn't it? Again, it's because of sin. Because of sin. Christ had to come while we were yet enemies to die for us. The seed of the, that's cast uh, by the sower into the soils can only grow in the soils that have been prepared. Prepared by not ourselves but by the sower. Our Lord is the Prince of Peace, and He gives us peace that passes understanding. But our hearts must be prepared for it, must be changed. To guide us into the way of peace is to guide us into faith of our Lord, who is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And he called John the greatest of the prophets. Our God provided John in keeping with his promises so that we might have yet another indicator that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we might have life through his name. John pointed the way just as he was supposed to, as his father Zacharias prophesied of him. Praise to our covenant-keeping God, who prepares us to know Him and to serve Him. May we live lives that bring honor to His name. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Your Word, Your blessed Word, which You have given to prepare the way for us to believe, to rejoice, to serve. We thank you, Lord, that you have given eyes to see and ears to hear. We know that you do not do that for all. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to walk humbly, therefore, before you, to be grateful for those whom you've sent before, to pave the way, to prepare the way, to prepare our hearts, to recognize you, to recognize our Savior and to humble ourselves before you and serve you 
with all of our heart, soul, and mind. We ask, Lord God, as we rejoice in the coming of our Lord Jesus, that we would not rejoice simply from a cultural comfort or practice, but Lord, we would rejoice having truly known you, having experienced the new birth that you grant to us by giving us faith and repentance. Lord, let us know your salvation in the forgiveness of our sins because of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.